Okay, we're working our way through Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 14. We started 14 last week, didn't quite get it finished, uh, <coughs> because there's a lot to say. And the general gist of chapter 14 was if you have a church service, make sure it's decently run in order, not for everybody jumping up and yelling out all the time, and uh, make just one or two at a time, make sure it only everything is understood purpose of it is for people to grow and develop spiritually and if it's chaotic which it was and that's one of the things that we pointed out that the service was chaos i mean it was crazy communion service was all run out of whack and then the service itself was run out of whack. And he said, you've got to get this thing in order. And now he comes to uh, another topic here along the same line. So we're in chapter 14. We're going to finish that up and then go on to 15. Chapter 14, I'm looking at verse number 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. Right? So church is meant to be a peaceful place where we can gather and learn. Let your women keep silence in the churches. Oh boy, there he goes. No, no he said it. For it is per not permitted to them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. If they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shame for women to speak in the church. Now that's been a hot topic for a long time, okay? Ever since he said it, I guess. And uh, I want to say a couple things about it that uh, we don't often think about. In Galatians chapter 3, <clears throat> Paul tells us something. Galatians chapter 3, and this is a verse that is really, really unique because it uh, says something that <coughs> nobody was used to hearing. All right. So we're in Galatians 3, 27. For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, has put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is e neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that was a very radical thing for him to say. But when Christianity came into the world, it was radically different from anything that anybody had ever seen before. Because of that, what he just said, he says, really, there's not male or female. Everybody's an individual and they're treated by God like an individual, and it's not divided as it always had been uh, for years. So, uh, under the Jews, it certainly wasn't that way. If a rabbi had a wife, she wasn't allowed to walk next to him. Never. She had to walk behind him and not just right behind him. <laughs> she had to stay back a few feet if they went out in public. And she never spoke to him in public, ever, ever. 
And uh, when you went to the temple, they, you know the set out, of the, the layout of the temple. Uh, it was a very large enclosure. Up in the end here was the Holy of Holies. And then the holy place. And before that was a curtain before it. And uh, then there was a place up here. And then out here was the court of the women. And so women were kept back. They weren't allowed to go up into the closer, higher parts of the temple. And that had been that way for forever. And it was a, there was a dividing line that kept women back in the Jewish religion. And then Jesus came along, and suddenly everybody's equal. And it was a radical thing. People didn't know what to do with it. And so they were suddenly free to go to church and sit next to your husband and, and walk next to him <laughs> and talk to him and everything. And people were very ecstatic over that. And so they, women felt uh, free. They could do what they want. And I think probably what be, happened in Corinth, because of course they were Greek society, and they treated women the same way. Uh, you, you know, just stay out of the way. Don't, don't uh, do anything or say anything. And so uh, Jesus comes along and he sets up this new standard that everybody's equal, everybody's free, rich or poor, Jew, Greek, doesn't matter, male or female, doesn't matter. And so that was a very radical change. And when the church started to grow, there were women there. And it was very much a part of something that nobody was used to. And, uh, and so Paul says, women aren't allowed to speak in your churches. Let your women keep silence. Not permitted for them to speak. So why do you think that was? Well, I think... It's pretty clear that the discussion in chapter 14 has to do with the absolute chaos in the service. People shouting and talking out and jumping up and speaking in tongues is just chaotic. Paul says it cannot be. We've got to get the service in order. And so he stops people speaking in tongues. He even stops people who preach sometimes. And then he says, now the ladies are going to stop. And I think probably uh, what they were doing was asking questions. Would be my guess, and it's not just my guess. People think that the ladies in Corinth just jump up and say, hey, what does that mean? Now, <laughs> uh, Paul said, sit down, and when you go home, ask your husband what it means. We've got to stop the chaos. And so I think when he says this, he's talking about a large service where people are all gathered. And he's putting a check on the freedom that they're experiencing. All right? And he's saying, now, look. Now, when I say that, I believe it's in context with chapter 14. There's a lot of people who don't agree with that. They say women preachers just can't be. Paul said women can't preach in church. And I 
uh, have a little problem with it. I don't have a problem with it, but I have a question that comes up. If you look at a couple things, uh, you're going to see ladies involved in Acts chapter 1, right in the beginning, uh, when they are gathering together all in the upper room. And uh, all the disciples are there. There's 120 people there. Verse 14 of Acts 1. All these continue the one accord in prayer of supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brother. And so uh, all the ladies who had followed Jesus around were there. And so on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came into that place, there were ladies there participating in what happened. And uh, we have over in Acts 21, and this is where some people take the argument, and I don't think this is unreasonable. Acts 21, verse number 8. Next day, we that were of Paul's company departed, came to Caesarea, entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. So they're at Philip's house. The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. So Philip, who was out there and met the Ethiopian eunuch in the desert, that was Philip preaching campaigns. Four of his daughters are preachers. He says, we got four of them here, and they were all preachers. And so uh, when somebody takes the passage in Corinthians and says, you can't have women talk in church, I think what was being said was there is an orderly way to run a service, and jumping up and shouting isn't there. So if you've got a question, ask it at home. And there is no question that these people in Corinth were full of questions. They just had millions of them. And we're about to get into another one in chapter 15. But uh, they're, they don't know. What do they know? They don't know all the history like you and I have Bibles. We they didn't have a Bible. All right, They didn't have a Bible. And so uh, if they could get part of the Old Testament. They probably had it, some of them. Uh, but uh, we have example too in the Old Testament. Uh, you, you remember the lady that was in charge? What was her name? Esther was a queen, but it's Deborah. You go to the book of Judges and there's a lady named Deborah. And she's sitting under the tree uh, acting like a judge and they go to go to war with the enemy and uh, Barak who is a man says well I'm not going without Deborah she's got to go too all right and so uh, very much there's times when there were ladies in charge and I think one of the reasons uh, is because sometimes there just isn't any men sometimes there just isn't I mean, you go out and look into denominations and you see, well, they got women preachers all over. They can't find any men preachers. They won't step up and, and do what's got to be done. So I think that this that he says here has in it a, 
a warning, all right? Keep your service like it is. Ask your questions at home. And one of the reasons why we have Sunday school like we do, you know, when they were back there, they didn't have Sunday school. <laughs> That's a fairly new thing. It's only a couple hundred years old, Sunday school. Nobody ever had Sunday school. You went to church and went home. Now we have it. One of the things we do is what? Ask questions. You can ask a question. It's a very reasonable thing to ask a question. But if somebody jumps out in the middle of my in the middle of my sermon and says, hey, what does that mean? I'm going to say, sit down, I'll tell you later. All right, there's a time to ask a question. And that's what I think is the point here. Now, there are people on both sides, but of course, on one side, there's people open the door, let anybody be a preacher. Homosexuals, bring them all in. Let's have them all be preachers. Well, all right, that's, we know that's not where we're supposed to go. There is on the other side of the debate, people say you can never have a woman preacher. And I do think that God uh, made ladies different than men, more intuitive. And so because of that, they may not uh, be good, but I've heard some very good lady speakers. And so what seems to be the case is that in the service, keep order, and don't jump up and ask questions. You are free, and you are suddenly equal, and it's a very, uh, I'm sure, a very uh, exhilarating thing to suddenly be considered an equal under God's eyes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, that's the way uh, people look at this. And like I say, there's differences of opinion. Um, if there's no man to preach, somebody's got to preach. All right? If there's no man to preach, no man to stand up, somebody has to do it. And through the Bible, there are cases, plenty of cases, where we see it. All right? You remember Lydia. She founds the church there. Paul goes there and finds her down by the water. And uh, she's running a little church there. She's running a church. Right? And Paul doesn't say, well, you can't run it. Somebody else. He, says, he jumps in and says, hey, I'm with you. Let's have church. Okay? So uh, to say that Paul said women can never do anything in a service, I don't think that's what he means. I think what he meant is let your women keep silence in your church because they're getting too loud and noisy. He just said that about all the people speaking in tongues too, right? Yeah, he did. All right. And so he's pulling the reins in. And so we got to bring this thing back to something normal. And that means the ladies are going to be a part of that too. So the freedom that women had was brand new and I'm sure it was exhilarating. At the same time, Paul says you can't just turn the place into chaos. And so that's why he says a shame for women to speak in the church because he expects that they're jumping up and shouting just like everybody else was doing. You know? And so part of bringing that under control, making the service so it will teach like it's supposed to teach, like he says, the best thing you can do is teach, instruct. That's why we're here. And so uh, that's that opinion about the ladies is there. Uh, you got 
people like uh, <coughs> Aquila and Priscilla. And Paul talks about Priscilla and all that she did. He's, he doesn't ever say, she should have sat down and shut up. No, he said, we needed her. She took Apollos and trained him what the gospel was. So uh, if there are no men, somebody needs to do it. And he certainly wasn't excluding ladies entirely from the Lord's work. I think what he was doing was bringing the service under control. All right, now let's go on. Verse 36. What? Came the word of God out from you or came in unto you only? <laughs> I got to say, I can't think, of, I've been thinking about this. I can't think of any other way to say it than he's being a little sarcastic. He's being a little sarcastic. Now, he loves these people. He's encouraging them, doing his best to guide them. But he's also getting a little bit sarcastic here. We'll see it in a couple instances here where he says, you guys got an attitude. You think you know everything. You think you're geniuses and you know everything. He said, what came the word of God out from you? Or in other words, so you guys introduced the, the Bible to the rest of the world? Is that where it came from? No, that's certainly not. It's what you're acting like. Or it came unto you only. Only the people in Gorath got the truth. Right? And that's always something to watch. There'd be people who will tell you, we got the truth over there. Nobody's got all the truth. Get it? Nobody has all the truth. All right, nobody. I don't. And I've heard very, very good speakers, and the best ones like A.W. Tozer, he, he says, nobody's got all the truth. Uh, there's so many things. And so he, he says to the people in Corinth, you're kind of acting like you're big shots. All right, so verse 37, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So as I'm writing to you, I'm not just writing a little letter so you can toss it out and not read it. I'm writing you the instructions that come from God about how things are to be done, how you're to think about things. And so he says, if you say you're spiritual, you've got all the answers, then you're going to have to be agreeing with me, he says. Because he's chosen apostle or a messenger, one of the first messengers sent from God. So he says, if you think you got, a, you got it, then you need to be agreeing with me. <laughs> Verse 38, if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. <laughs> if you want to be stupid, go ahead, he says. If you want to disagree with me and argue and fight with me about every little thing, if that's what you think you got to do, I guess go ahead and be ignorant. <laughs> and I take that a little bit of sarcasm. Got all the answers? Think you got all the answers? Yeah, well, if you don't agree with what I say, then you're way off. And if you choose that, if you won't be taught, then be stupid. That's be ignorant. Yeah. Verse 39, Therefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues, that all things be done decently and in order. And so there he goes. He's touched on the topic now 
of uh, how your service is and you need to bring it under control and it needs to be in order so people can learn. Now we go shift gears entirely going to chapter 15. In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians you have probably the most preached out of chapter in Corinthians. I think that's good. I wish 13 was the most preached one. The book a chapter about love. But it's not. Chapter 15 here is the most preached out of one and it is preached on an Easter Sunday all over the world. People are preaching out of this chapter and you'll see why as we go on. Now uh, there has come a question that they've brought up to Paul and it's a little more than just a question. There's a little bit of an attitude that goes along with it. And so here we go and we'll figure out what the question is as we go along. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you have received, and therein you stand. And so he says, when I was there, I preached to you the gospel. And we know what the gospel is, right? Jesus born, lived, died, rose again, and ascended. He ascended. That's all the things that Jesus did. We call that the gospel, the truth, the good news. The good news is Jesus came and did these things. So when I was with you, I preached to you that information that you didn't have yet. I'm giving it to you, and that's where you are now. Verse 2, by which you also are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached in you, unless you have believed in vain. So this is the thing that helps people have salvation. You believe that Jesus died and rose again and ascended up to heaven and we put our faith in Jesus. We have salvation. He says that's what we have. All right? And you have that unless you don't really believe. Verse 3. For I delivered to you first of all that which I received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That we call the basic gospel. He died, buried, rose again. All right, he says, that's what I told you. I delivered to you what I also received. What does he mean that he received it? Well, he means he was told what happened. Somebody said to him, hey, Paul, you should have seen this. And he wasn't there when it happened, all right? He was there a little bit after it happened. And, but I'm sure he was told, and then he was, he was told these things too, verse 5. And that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, after he rose from the dead. And then of the twelve, after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some are fallen asleep, some have died. After that, he was seen of James, that was his half-brother. And then again, of all the apostles. And last of all, he's seen of me as one born out of due season. For I am the least of the apostles. I'm not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. All right, so he says... Here's the people that saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. Peter, 
And then he appears to them the night of the resurrection. You remember, there's 10 of them there. Judas is dead already, and Thomas is, we don't know where he is. And then a week later, he comes back and he appears to the 11. And then he says, meet me in Galilee. He goes to Galilee, and he's seen of 500. A whole group of 500 were there, saw him there. And then he says, uh, he's seen of the 12 again. Uh, when they go up, up, he ascends up into heaven. And he's seen of James, his brother. He made a special appearance like he did to Peter. He made a special appearance to James, his brother, because, you know, James didn't believe in him. When James and his family came to get Jesus, they said, we think he's finally flipped his lid. He's running around preaching to people. Who does he think he is? He's just our brother. He's a carpenter. And that's what his family said about him. And uh, when he rose from the dead, he appeared to James. James became the number one operator of the church in Jerusalem. Disciples left, sometimes running for their lives. But James stayed there the whole time and ran the church in Jerusalem. So he had an important role to play. And then he said, last, I saw him too. And you remember on the road to Damascus, he sees the light, looks up in the light, talks to Jesus. And he says, he tells us here that I actually saw him when I was talking to him. And uh, I could see Jesus. And so uh, always people say, well, the apostles have to have seen Jesus. Well, he said, I did. I saw him up there. Why is he saying this? He's saying this because they brought up a question. Is there really a resurrection? Is there really resurrection? Is it real? Uh, what is it? What happened? What happened? How do we know it's true? Right. And it, what's it got to do with us? And so they asked a series of questions about the resurrection coming from the some of them are coming from the idea that they don't really think it's true. They don't think he really resurrected. And so he's just laying down evidence. And this is still used, the primary chapter, evidence of the resurrection, who saw him. There's a whole list of the people who saw him after he rose from the dead. And so it's not just somebody said, well, we believe he did. No, they saw him. They touched his hands. All right, they touched him. And so uh, they believed in the resurrection. Now, uh, the question is, is there a resurrection? Is it real? How did it work? How does it work for us? And uh, that's the question they ask. The reason they're asking those questions is because they're Greek. They don't have any background on resurrection. Jews believed in the resurrection. Now, you remember Martha? And Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus, and Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. And what does she say? Well, we're all going to rise when the resurrection comes. We know that. 
And then he remember his comment, I am the resurrection and the life. So the Jews believed in a future resurrection. And there's a couple reasons for that. Uh, one of those reasons was, it, well, it was mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, you remember Ezekiel? He said, I came to a valley. God brought me in a vision to a valley, and it was full of bones, and they were very dry, left out in the sun. There's no flesh, nothing, just a whole valley full of dry bones. And God says to Ezekiel, so let me ask you, can those bones live? He's looking at the bones. Hmm. I don't know. You know God, but I don't know. So he says, okay, preach a sermon to the bones. <laughs> Some days I've thought I've been preaching to bones. <laughs> and old Ezekiel, you know, old Ezekiel, what would he say? Okay. No, he said, yeah, okay, I'll preach. He starts preaching to the bones. It's quite a guy. And and uh, it says, they all started to shake and rattle and move. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. All right. They all came together, and now the valley's full of skeletons. Keep preaching. And now flesh grows on them. And so now the, body, the valley's full of corpses. And then he says again, can these live? He says, I don't know. I don't know. Preach again. He preaches again, and he said this, that God put into them life. He breathed into these corpses life, and he said all of a sudden they all stood up an exceeding great army. Boy, that would make the hair stand up on the back of your neck, wouldn't it? And what's the point? There's a resurrection, and if God says I can resurrect, I can resurrect. I can resurrect. I can do it. Right? And he's t telling us through Ezekiel. Now, is it maybe one you should look at. Isaiah, the very last chapter in the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, is another one of these comments. There are others in the Old Testament that suggest there's a resurrection coming. So I'm in Isaiah 66, the last chapter of the book of Isaiah. I look at verse number 22. For as the new heavens and new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Said, I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and in that new heaven and new earth, you're there. It shall come to pass from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, saith the Lord. So he says there's coming a day when everybody's going to be there and when the new world is created, you're going to be there. And so the Bible said there's going to be a resurrection. And the Jews knew that. These Gentiles, they don't know it. All right. So uh, they can't quite wrap their head around it. So let's see here. Let's pick up where we left off. Verse 10. Paul just said, I saw God too. I was a little late, but I saw in verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace which was bestowed in me was not in vain. 
But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And that's an interesting comment. I think that the most ambitious uh, preachers are the ones that are successful. Lazy preachers, you know. I remember a preacher, he said, don't ever come to my house on Monday, it's my day off. I think he had every day off, but I think. You know, he didn't know it, but he did. Uh, uh, here's a guy, why did Paul do so much and go so far beyond what everybody else did? Because he worked harder than everybody else. Uh, now, verse 11. <clears throat> Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach. The, the other disciples or me, we all preach the same thing, so you believe. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And so the argument that they're having in Corinth is that we don't believe there's going to be a resurrection. We're going to die, and that's going to be it. And you Jewish people are telling us there's going to be a resurrection. We're denying it. We're denying that such a thing is true. And he says, how can you say there's no resurrection if Christ rose from the dead? Verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead. All right, so he says, let's, let's think through it your way. You say there's no resurrection of the dead. Then Christ is not risen. All right, so... If you say there's no resurrection, then you deny that Christ rose from the dead. And if Christ be risen, then our preaching is in vain. So why are we preaching if Christ is still laying in the tomb? And your faith is also in vain. Why should you believe us if Christ is in the tomb? And we are found false witnesses of God. Everything we say is a lie. Because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead raised not. He says, we're, let, we're, we're going logically through from your point of view that there is no resurrection. Therefore, Christ can't have resurrected. 16, if the dead raised not, then is not Christ raised. If Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you're yet in your sins. Ooh, you're not forgiven if Christ is still in the tomb. They also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished, or in other words, people that died and believed in Christ just went to hell. And if in this life we have hope in Christ, only have hope, we are of all men most miserable. They said, boy, we're a mess if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. We're the most miserable, foolish people in the world to believe in this man if he didn't come out of the tomb. That's the argument. He's taking it from their point of view. Verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. The Old Testament concept was first fruits. There is a first fruit and they gave it to God what they did. And so when you harvested and you got your first bunch of grapes they went into the temple and you gave them to God this belongs to God it's the first fruits are God's and same thing with your crop if you're pulling out uh, carrots and you got 
the first ones that come up, those are gods. You take them into the temple. Whatever you planted is first fruits belong to God. And so he said, here is the first fruits of resurrection. Christ is the first fruit of that. All right. And so when did resurrection begin? began with Christ. He was the first person resurrected. You say, no, 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 no. What about Lazarus? Well, he was resurrected temporarily. Then he died. Jesus is resurrected forever. It's a whole different thing. All right. Let's go on. 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And so he said there was a human, the first human, his name is Adam, and he sinned. And so we all inherited that. So another man came, sometimes called the second Adam. He came, Christ, and he made it so that all could live. These all would die from Adam. That's what we inherited from our father Adam. And we're all going to die. Jesus came along, but you inherit from him that you're all going to live. I'm glad he got here. Uh, I'm glad he got here. It's a good thing he got here. And here's the thing uh, about the second Adam. He's really not second. <laughs> he's really first. He's the first Adam. And he's called the second Adam because chronologically in time, all right, Adam was the first <laughs> human. And then 6,000 years later, uh, Christ comes. 4,000 years later, Christ comes into the world, all right? So he, we call him the second Adam. But understand that before Adam was ever created, there was a business meeting in heaven. And God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit says, shall we make something very unique? We'll make the human race. We're not going to make them like angels because angels were each individually created by God right from his hand. We're going to make them with the ability to uh, create among themselves. It's going to be a very unique thing. So shall we make that kind of creation? And the, the agreement was, well, we want them to love us. And so if they love us, then that's what we want. Because the Bible says they were created for God's pleasure. You're created to please God. That's why you're made. That's why you're happiest when you're pleasing God. Okay? That's why you're happiest. You're to, you were created. And so he says we're going to create them. And if we look into the future, we know they're going to rebel against us. Even the angels we made rebelled. And the humans will rebel. So what are we going to do? So Jesus said, I, if you prepare me a body, I'll go down and I'll live down there as a human. And I will redeem them. And I'll have to become human because as God, I can't die. 
God can't die. That's why Jesus became human, so he could die. So he says, I'm going to go down. I'm going to redeem the race. And if you say uh, that's okay, that's what we'll do. And the father said, yeah, let's do it. Let's create the race. We know they're going to rebel, but you go down and rescue them out of their the mess that they're going to get themselves into. And so it's already decided, and that's why the Bible says that Jesus was uh, slain in the mind of God before the creation of the world. So in God's mind, as soon as he said, here's Adam, there he is. In his mind, Jesus is already dead, slain. So he really is not the second Adam in a way, manner of speaking. He already was agreed to purchase life before Adam came along and threw it out the window. All right, that's just a little side note. Let's get going here. <clears throat> 23. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. All right, and so. When do we get resurrected like Jesus? When you get resurrected at, at the, the return of Christ. At the return of Christ. When Christ comes again, he said that's when the resurrection happens. So right now there's only one resurrected person, Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He said the rest of us when he comes, then he's going to resurrect us then. And then, verse 24, cometh the end. Right, and so, we're marking time. And we have Christ coming into the world. He dies. And then we're counting down. We're waiting for the end of time. We have some signs that help us to know when it's getting closer. Uh, but he says, we're waiting for the end of time. And when Christ comes, then that's where time ends. So we're looking at a clock every day, right? We look at a calendar every day or whatever. And we say, and we're just following the time along, all right? And then it's going to end. That whole system of keeping time will come to an end and will go off into eternity. And he said, but when you go there, you'll be in a resurrected body. What does that mean? Well, Jesus had one. And it's the only one anybody's ever seen. And he let us get a real good look at it. He really showed us what it was. In Luke chapter uh, 24, I think it is. And this is kind of an important passage. Because you want to know, all right, if I'm going to resurrect from the dead someday, what's it going to be like? And that's their question. That's why he's going this direction. Because they're saying, I don't get it. We've got to come back and live like this again? No. No, it's going to be different. All right. Uh, Luke 24, verse 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. That is, he came in without opening the door. All of a sudden, he's there. How did he get there? New body. He can go through the wall. He can transport himself 
through the air, we call it, uh, another dimension of existence that's right here with us that we can't see. And he can transport through that. And he goes to Emmaus, sits at the table with them, and then he, gone. Cool, man, cool. And then, bang, he's standing there in the upper room with it. I'm going to do that as much as I can. When I get the chance and I can go through the wall and go wherever I want, I'm going all over the world. I'm going to go here and there. Anyway, where were we? Verse 37, they were terrified and frightened, supposed they'd seen a spirit. They thought he was a ghost, and you would. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why thoughts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, it is I. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. So Jesus, resurrected from the dead, has flesh and bone. Obviously, it's not quite like ours. It's different from ours, but he's got it. And he said, go ahead, feel it. You can feel it right there. And, of course, they're looking at his hands. He pulls his side. You can look in his side. Look at my feet. And what else would you think? Verse 41, they believed not for joy, wondered. He said, I'm not have you any meat. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and honeycomb. He took it and did eat it before them. So he's eating. So in our new bodies, we're going to get to eat. Great idea. And I'm loving that new body, right? It's a great idea. What a wonderful thing, all right? And so the body that he's got is the one that we're going to have, all right? That same type of body. Um, <clears throat> that's what they're trying to figure out that over here. What is it? What is it like? What is it like? And he's explaining to them, it's going to be like Jesus. He was the first one. The rest of you will resurrect from the dead when that final end comes. <clears throat> Christ will return to earth and then will be resurrected, which will be uh, quite a thing. I was thinking about it the other day. I heard a song. They were singing about uh, when he comes and we behold him face to face, what it would be. Wow. And I was thinking about laying over there in that cemetery. Because I'll probably be over there sometime, laying next to my father and my mother. And uh, can you imagine when that trumpet sounds and we come out of that ground? Gonna be a Viking war cry coming out of that. <laughs> tell you, when the old Viking next to me gets up, we're gonna let the world know that Jesus is in charge. We're gonna let the world know. So, what an exciting uh, future we have. I was talking to Steve Morris at the nursing home, and we were talking about how. Life can be tough sometimes and how hard things can be. And I said, but you know, there's better things coming. He said to me, yeah, that's right. The best is yet to be. And that's the last thing he said before he just fell asleep. The best is yet to be. You betcha, man. You betcha. Get, the, get off of your whiny cry stuff. We got good stuff coming. All right? Be a part of this. Get in. Let's get in on it. This is good stuff. 
that's common wonderful things and that's what he's trying to explain to them because they're going they don't think Christ raised from the dead and they don't believe all that and now he's going to say come on get with it and here's where something he throws in here that nobody ever heard before and that's why when Paul says when I speak you better listen because he says things that nobody ever said before because God tells him and he tells us. Here's 1, 24. When the end cometh, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all his enemy under his feet. The last enemy shall be destroyed is death. All right, so the final thing that Jesus does, he returns to earth, he sets this world right, fixes the mess you think nobody can fix this mess? <laughs> Somebody knows how to fix this mess. He fixes a mess. The final thing he says is there, nobody's ever going to die again. He's talking about all of us. He's never going to die again. For he hath put all things under his feet. When he saith all things are put under his manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. When all these things shall be subdued unto him, and the Son himself shall be subject unto him, and put all things under him, that God may be all in all. That's a very pretty deep stuff. Here's what it is. Jesus was in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And he said, we got to do something about the human race if we create them. And he said, I'll do it. So I'll step out, so to speak, and take a human form. And so when he stepped out and he took the human form, uh, Somebody's preaching besides me, I guess, huh? And so, when he accepted that role and came down to earth to live like a human, uh, the Bible says that he obeyed God and he was obedient right till death. And then he humbled himself below that. So they spit on him, and they punched him in the face, and they, they beat him, they slapped him, they pulled the hair out of his head, and they did horrible things to him. And so God the Father said, I'm going to let it happen this time, but never again. You're never going to do that to my son ever again. Don't you ever do that to him again. And so he allowed at that time. And Jesus came down and let those things happen. And then Jesus, God said, I'm going to give him a name above every name. And everybody everywhere is going to bend the knee. In heaven, in earth, in hell, everyone will bend the knee to Jesus Christ. Because I'm not going to have it any other way. So I'm going to highly exalt him and leave him there as human. And as a human, he will finish everything, and he will end the final thing, which will be death, 
will nobody ever die again. And then he says, he stepped out of the Trinity. He's stepping back in. And when he steps in, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit will be all in all. All right, and so the rule of Christ that he's, we're under now is because he lowered himself, became obedient unto death, humbled himself. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. So what he's saying here is if you're worried about the resurrection, don't. Because the man in charge, who is Jesus Christ, is setting it up so that uh, he can finish every enemy. And the last enemy, he says, is death. So the final victory will be nothing will ever die again, ever. Wow. Wow. We can't, you can't even, your imagination's not big enough to take it in. Mine's not. I can't take it in. How fantastic it's going to be when the whole theme of the whole thing we have ever known changes and he says you're going to live forever and that's the resurrection the new body and Jesus Christ will step back into the trinity that God may be all in all wow okay so I didn't get as far as I wanted to I'd like to keep going but I know I gotta stop but uh, feels good to talk about this. And so what happened was from some skeptics in the church in Corinth who said, I don't know about this resurrection stuff. He said, all right, here's the facts. They saw him after the resurrection. I saw him. 500 people saw him. He resurrected. Proof positive. All these eyewitnesses were there. They saw him. All right. And if we question how come nobody else is, is because there's a first fruits. And the first fruits belong to God. And so Jesus rose from the dead with that new wonderful body that we're going to have someday. And he says, when Jesus Christ comes and sets it all right, then we will have the new, new body, all right? And he's going to go on with more arguments and to help us to understand the next thing, which is what's the nature of the body that we'll have. And so we're going to go through a series. He uses a series of logical arguments trying to explain to us. And when he's all done... We say, I still don't know what it is, right? But you'll have an idea, more of an idea than maybe you think, because you can't think of anything but this, right? You think, well, if this thing really didn't give me any aches and pains, I'd be all set. Nah, that ain't what it is, okay? It's something different. And he's going to try to explain that to us as we go next weekend. All right, thank you.